This is hour number two of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, the events of our lives. We do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. In the next segment of the program, very much looking forward to having a uh, guest on the show, a good friend of both uh, Leah and myself. In fact, someone who, who sat with Leah at my wedding, uh, oh, Kim, yeah. Kim Goldman, who is the uh, sister of Ron Goldman, who was murdered by O.J. Simpson 20 years ago. This weekend, O.J. was acquitted uh, for that uh, crime that he obviously committed, and there's been a lot of publicity surrounding that, and she's got a new book out. Uh, we'll talk to her in the next segment. But before we do that, um, I do want to finish our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016 with a uh, quick glance at the Democratic side, which this week, of course, means what's up with Hillary Clinton. So, Leah, tell us about that. Okay, so this week we learned that the potential for foreign countries to hack into Hillary Clinton's private unsecured server is now no longer just a notion. Russian-linked hackers in 2011 sent infected emails to her disguised as New York City traffic citations and tried to get her to click, click on the attachments. There's no word on whether they were successful. Also, another batch of emails found, and one uh, apparently has the LGBT community up in arms. In 2010, the State Department made a change to U.S. passport applications. Instead of listing mother and father, the forms would say parent one and parent two. Hillary Clinton apparently hit the roof over this. She said she disagreed with it, basically because she was going to have to face a Fox News-generated media firestorm. Those were her words, uh, and the gay community is not happy about this. Anyway, the decision was reversed. Now, as the campaign to try and make Hillary Clinton appear to be more human continues. <laughs> appear she, to be more human. Yes, not more full, human, appear to be more human. Not fully human, just appear to be partially human. Correct. She shows up on SNL as a bartender trying to give herself, uh, the patron, a pep talk. All anyone wants to talk about is Donald Trump. Donald Trump? Isn't he the one that's like, uh, you're all losers? <laughs> you think he'll win the primaries? He must. <laughs> I want to be the one to take him down. <laughs> I will destroy him and I will mount his hair in the Oval Okay, now, one of the funny things is that they, of course, get Daryl Hammond to show up on SNL because he's Bill Clinton. So it's great to have him back. He kind of shows up in a scene. But the woman who plays Hillary Clinton in this skit is so over the top and mean. And there's Hillary Clinton, the bartender, talking to her is very funny. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was okay funny. I, I thought from a political standpoint, it was weird. It was. Uh, um they take a little bit of a, sh a very little bit of a shot at her for her very delayed support of gay marriage right. uh, and for her very delayed opposition uh, to the uh, to the uh, pipeline, pipeline, the Keystone <laughs> Pipeline. Um, but overall, it was very obvious that Saturday Night Live was sending a message that, hey, we're still on board with Hillary. Uh, she's still our gal. And, you know, it was it was obvious to me that this was a um, a precursor to what we would see in the general election. I mean, yeah. you know, and I keep talking about this, folks, that the reality is no matter how weak she might appear now, 
that once she's the nominee, which she will be, barring an indictment or Joe Biden running, and even then she still might be the nominee, once she's the nominee, what we saw on Saturday Night Live is going to happen universally. It's going to be, other than maybe Fox News Channel, uh, but, you know, as we've seen in the last couple of elections, that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do it, doesn't crack the nut. Mm-hmm. So the reality is they're going to rally around Hillary. They're going to do everything they can to drag her across the finish line. And the other thing Saturday Night Live did was they, they, they made it very clear they will destroy Donald Trump because Donald Trump was the, the character at the start of the show. They mm-hmm. eviscerated him on numerous levels, uh, and they will continue to do so. So if you're one of those that thinks that that's beatable in a world that's largely a liberal country now in presidential elections, good luck to you, because I don't see it happening. I, I really don't. And, it, and it's amazing what she's allowed to get away with. Her hypocrisy on gay marriage. You know, she it's went unreal. after Ben Carson and Ted Cruz, mocking them for the same position she held like five weeks ago. Correct. And, and you know, and you, you mentioned the LBGT emails. I'm still holding out hope for the Beyonce Taylor Swift email, because I think that would be more effective. But here's a classic example. The media just ignores that. If a Republican, yeah. if a Republican had done the same email, that would have been a huge news story. Wall the wall. But because it's Hillary, uh, well, we're going to forget. We have to forgive her. She has to do these things in order to be electable. We understand what she's really one of ours. So we're going to give her a pass. It's so insane. And, it's and, just insanity. And we're not just going to give her a pass. We're going to let her attack other people. For having the exact same position she had. Correct. Like last year. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. But this is the future. And I've warned you, folks. I've warned you. This is the future when she's the nominee. And that's why I've been saying we need somebody who contrasts that and can withstand the oncoming media attacks and firestorm. But I'm now, you know what? I'm I'm leaving intellect at the door. And I'm just going to trust the magic of Donald Trump. I'm just going to trust the magic of Donald Trump. I, I, That's because you know you have Marco Rubio to back it up. No, nah, well, yeah, good luck getting him the nomination. Uh, it's a, that's a tough road. That's a very tough road. If you're curious about why I've changed my mind on Trump, quote-unquote, uh, check out our podcast at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Hour number two of last week's show will explain all of that to you. When we come back, uh, Kim Goldman will join the program on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon, and uh, we're very excited to be joined in this segment by a good friend of mine uh, who is known to many people listening. Her name is Kim Goldman. She is the uh, sister of Ron Goldman, who you probably remember as one of the two people who were killed by O.J. Simpson back in 1994. This weekend is the the 20th anniversary of O.J. Simpson being acquitted of that murder Mm. and uh, Kim and I got to know each other very well when I was at KFI in Los Angeles so well as a matter of fact that she attended my wedding and uh, sat with Leah Brandon uh, (laughs) and uh, also 
Um, uh, Kim was, I don't know if you know this, Leah, maybe you do, I can't remember if I told you, but when this program was first being thought about, before I even realized you were a possibility, I approached Kim to see if she wanted to be Leah Brandon. Uh, Ah, yes. This was going to be the John and Kim show, at least in my imagination, but it never turned out that way. And then when you decided not to go with the brains, you went with the loud one. (laughs) Yeah, so so Kim, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Uh, you sound a little uh, nervous. Are you okay? Everything all right? No, yes. I was uh, going to try to find something funny to say, but it wasn't working. Oh, okay. Well, you know, so <laughs> oh, I've always, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to Leah. Uh, I've always. Oh. <laughs> well, Leah did say that uh, she thought you looked gorgeous at the wedding that you attended yesterday. I'm telling you, you looked beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, nothing but a pair of eyelashes can't do for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Some heavy eyeliner to cover the bags. All right. Now, Kim, I know you're you're busy tonight, so I, I want to make this uh, as quick and as painless as possible. But I did want to um, at least address uh, this major topic that's been in the news this week, this anniversary of the acquittal. Um, you know, you and I have talked for hours and hours and hours about uh, so many different aspects of this. Uh, and you have a new book out called Media Circus. Uh, which I also want you to have a chance to discuss in our in our short time uh, with you to talk about this. But I guess the number one question I want to ask you is that when we look back on this acquittal that happened 20 years ago this weekend, who do you blame? Wh- which person or which entity w- comes to your mind first? Obviously, O.J. did the murders, but I'm talking about the acquittal itself. Who do you blame most or first for your brother, Ron, not getting justice in a criminal court? Well, the killer, but um, I, I don't know that there's one person. I think it, it was the whole process. I mean, I, I, I happen to place a, a lot of accountability on Judge Ito because I think that he couldn't control his courtroom, and, and I think it stemmed from him and then everybody that participated in it, you know, the defense attorneys and the jury, obviously, um, the, the killer and his celebrity status, I think I think all of it played a part. I'm not sure that one person holds the, holds the key to that. Well, let me put one out to you. I, I think that certainly from an underrated, overrated perspective, and this dovetails with your book, Media Circus, I think the news media has a mm-hmm. lot uh, of blame to, to go on their shoulders for this. And I think your dad, and this was, I saw this clip, which I had remembered very well, but it was in one of the many documentaries that aired this week about your victory in the civil case against O.J. Simpson, where your dad at one point late in the trial, in only the way that your dad, Fred Goldman, could do, essentially calls out the media and says, O.J. butchered my son. Is there anyone here who doesn't believe that? And, right. and your dad was right. Every single member of the news media knew O.J. was guilty, but they all pretended that he wasn't because it was good for ratings and because they were afraid of being called racist. Am I right? Uh, No, I don't agree with you. I think that the the media back then was trying to be the way that they're supposed to be, which is is unbiased, and they're supposed to be objective. And so I think today's media would have had a different impact on our verdict, but I think back then the media was obsessed with this case. I don't know how much of that impacted – the, the jury's decision, to be honest with you. I, it's, it's hard to be Monday morning quarterback, you know, 20 years later. But I, I would like to think that the, the jury, I mean, that the media back then had a little bit more tact than what they do these days. But See, I, don't, I disagree. I think that that case, I think the case involving your brother and obviously Nicole and OJ, I think it changed the news media. I, and, and, and you said it's, it's their job to be unbiased. I agree with you. But unbiased doesn't mean saying that someone might not be guilty when they clearly are. 
See that? See right, that? But I don't know that. I don't know that that impacted the jury's decision. I think the jury had a whole other ulterior motive and agenda that ne- didn't necessarily have anything to do with what the media may have been trying to perpetuate. Well, let's go to the moment that O.J. was acquitted 20 years ago this weekend. I truly believe, Kim, and I felt this well before I got to know you, that that your your reaction to the verdict is probably the most impactful cry in my lifetime in public life. I mean, by, by the way, do you think of it in that way? Do you think do you understand how impactful your your reaction to the verdict was to the to the national the national psyche? I I do, but for different reasons. It's weird because it was just my authentic self in that moment, um, and it has become, you know, synonymous with the with the verdict. And it's it's strange to me, but I do. If I'm going to pull myself out of it, I do think that it kind of signifies what a lot of people were feeling in that moment. It's just bizarre because that was just me and my in my moment of vulnerability. And Robert Kardashian's reaction, boy, yeah. was that telling. Yeah, I, I think I've said it to both of you guys. He looked like he's like, ah, oh, dang it, now I'm stuck with him. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I can't believe he got away with it, and now I'm stuck with him because I've, you know, remained loyal to him for all these months. Kim exactly. Goldman, uh, sister of Ron Goldman, uh, who was murdered by O.J. Simpson 20 years ago this weekend, uh, he was acquitted outrageously for that crime that he obviously committed. Uh, Kim, real quick, in the last couple minutes that we, okay. ha- we have with you, the um, I- I'm, I'm curious as to... How much, if at all, the victory in the civil case and the fact that O.J. is now in prison for a crime that was, I believe, directly related to your civil case, how much has that taken the sting out of the acquittal verdict? You know, I, 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 more than anything, it's, it's a sense of relief for a little while while he is behind bars because he doesn't command, you know, the media's attention as much as he used to. He doesn't sneak into my television and my and my magazines as often as he did when he was walking the street. So I don't know that it necessarily attaches to the acquittal per se, but it, it absolutely allows me to breathe a little bit easier, and I'm not always on, on the verge of, like, wondering where he is. So I, I guess in that sense it means more to me, but he didn't get, you know, punished for what he did to Ron and Nicole for sure. Well, in a way, he did. I mean, because he would not be in prison today if not for your civil suit. Uh, Lee and I are going to talk about that in the next segment uh, after um, you know we, we let you go. But before we let you go, uh, tell us about the book Media Circus. Um, Media Circus is a is a um, a compilation of, of stories from ten families that I interviewed um, from high profile cases that date all the way back to before the, the Manson murders and. Uh, all the way up through Eric Garner's family from 2014. And I talked to all these families about what it's like to live a private tragedy in the public eye and how the media impacts grieving and, and how the public actually also impacts uh, grieving and the healing process and what it's like to kind of live your life in a fishbowl. And, it, I, you know, each chapter represents a different story. And um, I, I'm so proud of it, and I'm excited. And, I, and, you know, it's not about our family. It's not about me. Uh, it's just me being a storyteller, and I'm so honored that all these families let me into their homes to do that. And where can where can we get it? Hopefully, if there's bookstores still available, uh, <laughs> I don't even know if they exist anymore. But bookstores have it, um, and then our trusted Amazon.com, you can find it there. All right, Kim, thanks so much for taking some time. I know you're uh, real busy tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. 
Thank you guys for always being an advocate for my brother. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Cam Goldman. Thank you, uh, thank you Cam. The book is uh, Media Circus, and uh, we'll talk about uh, the, the role that Lee and I play, the small one, and why O.J. is in prison when we return on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. The John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And Leah, it never fails. Whenever we play that bumper music, it's appropriate. I don't know why. It is. Because, uh, first of all, I love the song, you know, Holding Out for a Hero. But um, And I have a very high standard of hero. But I do consider that the Goldman family is the only hero uh, in the entire O.J. Simpson debacle. Oh, you bet. Uh, and I have always felt that from day one, and having gotten to Kim, gotten to know Kim uh, very, very well, and her dad a little bit, um, I feel even more confident in making that statement. Kim Goldman was our guest in the last segment. Her book, Media Circus, uh, I urge you to go check out. Um, now, you know, we there's <laughs> this show is a little different from a lot of different perspectives. One of which is, for some bizarre reason. Um, you know, we tend to get involved in stories on a much deeper level than most <laughs> talk show hosts do. And you get involved. I just follow along. Well, OK, whatever. Uh, and, and the O.J. story is clearly one of them. And, and I think that our experiences uh, are important for people to understand, one, because they're hilarious. And two, because I think one of the many misunderstood aspects of this case is that there is a direct correlation between the acquittal, the Goldman family winning the civil suit, and the reason why O.J. Simpson is currently in prison where you he be- where he belongs, although for the wrong crime. And I want to I do a couple things in these next two segments. I want to explain, number one, how and why that's the case, and two, I want to explain our small role in that. Because, uh, by the way, it's, it's a, a significant role i mean it really is it it's funny that you know i'm not a famous person at all but there are very you know small pockets of people throughout the country who know me a little bit for many different things uh, i'm i'm known to some people as the how obama got elected guy uh i'm known to some people as the the sarah palin documentary guy I'm known to some people as the Tiger Woods is God guy. Right. I'm, I'm known to some people as the David Foster Wallace 23-page cover story of the Atlantic Magazine guy. <laughs> I'm known to some people as the Penn State Joe Paterno guy, now Jerry right. Sandusky guy. The funny part is I'm not very well known to most people, maybe some people in Los Angeles, as the O.J. Simpson guy. Uh, but frankly, I think of all this. It's not for lack of trying. <laughs> <laughs> but frankly, of all the stories that I've gotten involved with, I truly believe I've had the most impact on this one. As far as I the love it. as far as the outcome, and and I'm not the only one that believes that. The guy who stuffed O.J. Simpson in prison for stealing and for kidnapping 
will be the first person to tell you that. His yeah. his name is Alfred Beardsley. He's insane. And he will be the first to tell you, in fact, he has told me many times, although keep in mind he's insane, that without the efforts of the old John Ziegler show on KFI, O.J. is not in prison today. Now, let's be clear. That's one of many elements of why O.J. is in prison. Number one, of course, being the civil suit being having been brought by Kim and by Fred Goldman. So let's try right. to tell this story Let's try to tell this story in chronological order. Let's start off, by the way, the night of the acquittal. And, you know, obviously you're in Los Angeles. Yes. And the the whole nation, but specifically Los Angeles, is in shock 20 years ago this weekend over that horrific verdict. And you're you're in a bar. And lo and behold, who do you run into? Yeah. Sitting right next to me was Robert Kardashian. Okay. This is about... Oh, 7.30, the night of the verdict. And if you think back, what was O.J. Simpson doing the night of the verdict? He had a obscene blowout party at at his house, at his mansion. Mm -hmm. Everyone was invited. So why was his best friend sitting at a bar with a migraine headache looking like the world had caved in on him? In fact, my mother gave him some of her drugs to try to, you know, get the the headache gone. But that's where he was. He wasn't right. at O.J. Simpson's house. Well, at least he had left. I mean, it, there there's some video I saw this week of him in the afternoon uh, looking very out of place. And so I don't have any problem believing he left to go to a bar uh, at O.J. Simpson's house um, where that party was going on. The obvious answer to your question, which was rhetorical, is that he knew that he had helped. And But I mean, what, what I mean by helped, Robert Kardashian just didn't help you know, by being a, a very small part of the legal dream team, get a guy off of double murder who he knew was guilty. I'm convinced that Robert Kardashian played an integral role in how O.J. Simpson got away with it. I think Robert Kardashian was an accomplice after the fact. Yes. And I think he, he was the person who got rid of the gloves and the clothes and that kind of stuff. I can't prove that. Uh, but the evidence certainly seems to point that way, that Robert Kardashian helped O.J. get away with this, which is why he was so stunned when the verdict happened. And, you know, Kim, Kim and I have talked about a lot of things over the years. One of the things that I, this will tell you a lot about Kim, because she's written a couple books. I said, you know, Kim, if you want to get media coverage for your book, you need to create a, fe- a feud with Kim Kardashian, because uh, it would be very easy for you to do so. Because Kim Kardashian made her whole career all over the fact that her name was known because her father helped OJ get away with killing your brother. And so yeah. this, this would be a very natural and very legitimate feud. And Kim won't do it. She Kim, Kim is not that. No. That's not her style. I would do that. <laughs> uh, not because of the publicity, but because I can't stand the Kardashians for that very reason. All right? I mean, they, they, Kim Kardashian is not a celebrity today without her father having helped O.J. Simpson get away with double murder. Now, so let's go to, you know, let's take a break, and then so we'll have a longer period of time to discuss our small role uh, in a hilarious, hopefully hilarious fashion as to why O.J. finally did get some justice for having committed those two murders. And we'll do that when we return on the John and Leah Show right here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And uh, this weekend is the 20th anniversary of, at the time, what I thought was the most horrific injustice that I have ever experienced in my life, which was the uh, O.J. Simpson acquittal. Later on in the program, I'll tell you why I no longer believe that. Uh, But it's still a horrendous injustice that has been somewhat mollified, uh, Leah, by the fact that O.J. Simpson is currently in prison, not for the crime that he should be in prison for, but, but, but for a crime that was directly related to the fact that he was acquitted, which forced the Goldmans to sue him in civil court, and his effort to get out of Hide. right to get out of paying the Goldmans the money that he owed them, and so because the Goldmans wouldn't quit, and because other people, us included, uh, wouldn't let up the pressure on OJ, he eventually fumbled. And I'll be very, you know, I'm a very objective guy. I think. I mean, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so objective. Uh, you know, I'm the most open-minded person in the world, and no one can tell me differently. That's a joke. Um, but the reality is that I'm so objective. I'll acknowledge OJ got screwed in the uh, in the robbery trial. Oh uh, yeah. I, I, but it I, was revenge. But but I don't care. But I don't care. <laughs> I don't care either. I really don't care, because <laughs> karma. She's a bitch, all right? <laughs> and karma, fi- karma finally bit OJ right where he belonged, right? That's so, right. All right. So I don't, you know, in this one lone instance, I'm going to make an exception to, to my truth at all costs rule because I don't care. So let's hear let, So here's the story of our involvement of how we got there, all right? So I'm in, uh, you know, a KFI in Los Angeles with Leah Brandon doing an evening show. And I had had a very long, like every, like a lot of people in this country, had a long history with this particular story. I actually got fired from a television station as a sports cancer for making a very tame joke about O.J. Simpson's lack of innocence. <laughs> I, I would have been famous if this was in the Internet age, but 1994, there was no Internet then. Right. Um, by the way, I hated that job, so I didn't really have bitterness towards O.J. because of that. But it allowed me to watch every single second of the trial. I watched and, every uh, second, too, because I was working at night, so I was free all day. And it, it infuriated me. I mean, it, and my mother had just been killed in a car accident. I was fired from my job. I was living alone in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was a horrible winter. I, it, it, and then the, the next year, I mean, it was, it was one of the worst uh, times of my life. Um, and O.J. did not make it better. That's for damn sure. And so anyway, um, you know, he's acquitted, and we all know that whole story, and I'm now in Los Angeles, and O.J. Simpson, for the first time since having been acquitted, schedules a public autograph session, and where does he schedule it? (laughs) He schedules it not just in Los Angeles, but in Burbank, not just in Burbank, where our studios from KFI were, but literally 500 yards from my apartment. Now, when I see this, I'm like, there is no way this is going to happen. Oh, H, no. That's not happening. There is no way (laughs) on my watch in my neighborhood, O.J. Simpson is going to be allowed to publicly sign autographs for money without giving them money. I was so naive. I didn't think there was anything that you could do about it. (laughs) So in other words, when I said for the first time this wasn't going to happen, you thought I was crazy? I was like, what are you talking about? How can you keep him from doing that? All right. Well, here's what happened. So I go down to the the memorabilia shop, and uh, I explained to the guy, I said, look, um, 
we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. <laughs> I said, I said, if you want to do this the hard way, I can assure you that this event is, if it happens, will happen over my dead body. <laughs> and, and I was serious. <laughs> I, there is no way this is going to happen. And he was rather shocked because I don't think he realized what he had gotten himself into. Because he knew about KFI. He was a media guy himself. In fact, he worked at the NBC affiliate in Los exactly. Angeles. Exactly. So, um, so we ended up having the guy who, who had um, a guy by the name of Alfred Beardsley, whose name I've already mentioned. It was Alfred Beardsley that came to the memorabilia guy to set this event up. And right. so he said, well, talk to Alfred. So I call up Alfred and I explain to him, Alfred, this ain't going to happen. And he says, oh, yes, it is. I said, why don't you come on the show and we can talk about it. So he comes on the show and I make him a bet. Remember this? I make him a bet on the air. I said, I, I believe I bet him $1,000. I said, $1,000, not to me, but to Fred Goldman. You bet, I'm going to bet you $1,000 to Fred Goldman. That's this, right. this event is not going to happen. And he, and he made the bet. So I made so we we both of us on the air, um, you know, made this a huge cause. I went down to the memorabilia shop numerous times and finally convinced the guy from Channel Four that this an NBC affiliate in Los Angeles. This was a bad idea, and they canceled it. And we and we declared victory. And I even eventually got the check, although it took a long time, and it wasn't for a thousand dollars; it was for a hundred dollars. Because Alfred's not real good with math, apparently. Um, but I can i still have the—I have a copy of the check because, to my knowledge, at that time, that was the first actual real money that Fred had ever gotten that you could actually argue was directly from OJ. So, I do remember that. So I remember that. Okay. So then, so so. So we're good and clear. We're good and clear. (laughs) Now, what was key, what's key to understand is that that event created a massive schism between Alfred Beersley and the other guy who was partnering with him to create this OJ memorabilia stop, a guy by the name of Thomas Riccio. All right, these names, remember the names. So Albert Beardsley and Riccio are now pissed at each other because they each think that the other screwed them over because they let John Ziegler kill their event. All right? Right. So we now move forward several months, and all of a sudden, OJ is scheduled again to do an autograph session, this time at a horror show convention (laughs) in Northridge. A horror show convention. Right. In Northridge. Right, which is about as low as you can get, right, on the totem pole. (laughs) This one is sponsored by Thomas Riccio. Mm -hmm. Alfred's not involved. We go through the whole same rigmarole. I have Riccio on. I say, if you do this, I'm going to cause a scene because... (laughs) Because I need to make sure that no memorabilia dealer throughout the country thinks that they're going to be able to do this without trouble. So I'm just letting you know, you you do what you need to do, I'm going to do what I need to do. John didn't want OJ to have a dollar. Right. Not a dollar. He couldn't. The point of this was you can't let him breathe. You have to keep the pressure on because eventually he might screw up. Not to mention... He was doing this purely as a way to get around giving the Goldmans any money. He, Correct. This was the only way he could get an income 
other than his pension and and avoid giving it to the Goldmans. So we were told we were told by Riccio or his people that we we, we would have full access. Do you remember this? We oh, were, yeah. We would have full access to the whole place. And so we show up. You, uh, our producer, Jason Nathanson, myself. And do you remember, the, the, to me, the highlight of the whole day, there were many, but one of them was there were police there because they had heard we were coming. Yes. Right? And, and obviously OJ was going to be there. And do you remember what the first LAPD cop told us when we got there? He said uh, they should, something about they should have left the other bloody glove. No, or... no, no, no. We asked. I mean, remember, we're on KFI. We're pro-police. Obviously, the police not real friendly to OJ, uh, the LAPD. And, I, you know, I don't even know these guys, but I'm sensing I'm in friendly territory because they know who we are. And I oh, say, yeah. I say, is the killer here yet? Yeah, that's and, right. And, and, and they say, no, but don't worry. We dropped the bloody gloves. <laughs> this is a member of the LAPD. Don't worry, we dropped the bloody glove. So, uh, so we got, we we prepared way too much and very poorly uh, for this event uh, because the entire point was to make people who were standing in line for OJ's autograph to pay him for his autograph incredibly uncomfortable and, if possible, disrupt the entire event. Yes. So eventually, OJ gets there, and I, you know, our our producer tells me. Um, I don't even remember how we were communicating because it wasn't through tech. If we had had texting at that time, we would have been much oh, it better. would have been brilliant. We would have been in much better shape. But we're we're in the dark ages here. This is like 2006, <laughs> and so um, so anyway, we I learned that OJ is in the house. So I yeah. immediately run down and I'm running after OJ, trying to get him to answer questions about why he killed Ron and Nicole, why he had not shown up the previous day to do his autograph session, uh, you know, why he thinks people are standing in line to pay him for money when he's a double murderer. And oh yeah, oh it was beautiful. And, and his and his security is not letting me get anywhere near him. At right. one point, at one point, as we're going up the stairs, as I'm running after him. These these goons, these steroid goons, uh, are trying to block my way. I went underneath one of their legs. I I crawled, a grown man. I'm crawling underneath the legs of this steroid goon to try to get to OJ. They, I'm not. You're not going anywhere. You're not going. Stop blocking my way. Those are direct. You're blocking my way. That is. Those are direct quotes, Leah. Your memory is outstanding. So so eventually we get to a situation where we're at the corridor leading to where OJ is supposed to do this autograph session, and to our knowledge, OJ hasn't gotten there yet. Well, now, now the goons have set up a blockade, they, a full-blown blockade. In my, right. mem- in my memory, there are three or four steroid goons who are blocking the only path to get to where O.J.'s going to do the, the autograph session. And you've been and promised you can go back there. I've been promised full access. Which You told me I could! <laughs> That's another direct quote. Your, your memory is tremendous. Now, I'm under the delusion that O.J. is already beyond the barricade because he got out in front of me. I would later find out that's not true. In fact, right. Jason, our producer, God love him, didn't bother to tell me that O.J. was eight 
10 feet behind me around the corner waiting for the blockade to cease. So if we had just sat there and done nothing, we would have won. But instead, I decide at like, you know, at that point I'm like 185 pounds. I'm, you know, I'm a scrawny guy. I'm going to be a fullback trying to run through the defensive line of the 1986 Chicago Bears. And we don't just do this once or twice. I no, think no. We did this it for like 45 going. minutes. Oh yeah. 40... Oh yeah. Everybody was sweating. Uh, this <laughs> was this was Northridge, California. I think it was it, it was it was uh, it was in October, but early October. It was like a hundred degrees out with no air conditioning, and everybody <laughs> is sweating profusely, and I'm not stopping. I, and they called the cops and they, that's on right, you. That's right. They called the cops on me. That's, <laughs> they called. Jake Simpson calls the cops right, on you. Right. This, that might be the highlight of my career. O.J. Simpson calls the LAPD on me because I'm <laughs> trying to disrupt this autograph session, which, by the way, we successfully did do because Extra was there. I don't know if you remember this, but they did a oh, whole yeah. story on the big disruption at the O.J. Simpson <laughs> autograph session, and there was never another autograph session after that. But then comes Las Vegas, and where O.J. gets arrested himself. We'll talk about that when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 